again, uh, we're in the third chapter of Exodus. And we're going to look at verse number 9 and through 11. And one of the things we realize is here is now we are, again, before this burning bush. Moses is confronting or being confronted by God. And they're having this conversation, this exchange. And it's been 40 years that Moses has been in the wilderness of Sinai, really. He's been in the Midian Desert for the most part, living his life out as a shepherd. It's the second chapter of his life. The second 40 years of his life was radically different than the first 40 years of his life. The first 40 years of his life, as most of us, I think, are aware, um, when we talked about it a whole lot, he spent in the courts of, of the pharaohs. He was a prince in Egypt, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had been uh, remarkably saved and found when his parents, in a bold step of courage, had refused to have him killed, but instead took a chance, placed him in the Nile. He was found, ultimately adopted, raised in the courts of Pharaoh. Spent 40 years, as we're told, you know, fully exposed to a wide variety of experiences, highly educated. Moses is, is pictured in the first 40 years as someone who is supremely confident. He's in the prime of his life when he makes a, a very radical decision that becomes a catalyst moment for him. But again, the picture of Moses in the early part of his life is as someone who's quite accomplished, very confident, uh, extraordinarily uh, expansive in his worldview, and, and certainly the things that he was exposed to in the course of Pharaoh. And uh, the second half, though, not nearly <laughs> as dramatic. I mean, if you couldn't have thought of a, a, a more dramatic contrast from a person who was living in the world of ideas, power, prestige, um, you know, tremendous projects that he would have seen and witnessed, uh, all kinds of ideas, philosophical views, just an extraordinary expansive exposure compared to what he experienced at the second half of his life as a shepherd who lived a majority of his time alone with his sheep out in the wilderness. Again, it was a modest life. We're told that by the, the time that this happens here in Exodus 3, that Moses is just a whole different type of person. Every ounce of ambition seems to have been squeezed out of him as being sort of set in the wilderness of life will do to us. I mean, all the things that I think he associated with success had been gone for so long that it must have seemed like a distant memory. We talked about it, like a mirage in the desert. I don't even know how much he even thought about Egypt. One of the things that's clear, though, is that uh, he didn't ever think that anything else was going to happen in his life, and he seems to be content to have lived it out as a shepherd. That's what makes what we're going to look at so remarkable, because God calls him at a time when he had kind of given up. And in that place, the Lord says, I have an entirely new thing I want to do in your life. It's not just for you. It's going to be for my people. Let's look at it together, verse 9 through 11. It says that, now therefore behold the cry of, this is the Lord speaking, by the way, to Moses. It says, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, you, you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I, Lord, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, And of course, in response to that question of who am I, God says it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And he talks about his name. And this, this, whole, this whole exchange that we looked at more in depth last week, remember, Moses' first reaction to God is resistance. And so much of what we look at here is God and Moses wrestling, if you will. God's trying to push him, move him, get him to open up to something new that God has for him. 
and Moses is resisting it. He's pushing back. It's clearly not the picture of someone who is thinking, oh yeah, you know, now my dream is coming to pass. There's none of that. There's none of this, Lord, I've been waiting so long for this moment. Now you've come around. Where have you been? None of that. It's not about any of that. It's all about Moses saying, you know, Lord, I don't know why. Why are we even having this conversation? I am not your man. I'm, I'm nobody. I don't have this in me anymore. Whatever that was, he's been long gone dead. That's a different man. That's a different Moses. This is who I am. I'm a shepherd. And I'm not just a shepherd. I'm an old shepherd whose best days are behind him. That's what's happening here. I'm not your guy, Lord. Find somebody else. So Moses is pushing back. It's humble. It's honest. But it's pushback. God pushes back on Moses. And he says, listen to me. This is not about, in, verse, in his verse, really, verse 12 is when he says, I, listen, I will certainly be with you. Why are you doubting this? I will be with you. And in fact, the Lord says, I will take you, this will be a sign to you that you will actually, by the time this is done, the people that are in Egypt now, enslaved, you will actually lead them out and they will come to this very mountain. This will be a sign to you that this word is a true word from me. You will do this and you will lead your people to this very mountain and they will worship me here. And, and Moses is having a hard time with that. He says, look, Lord, when I go over to talk to them, you know, they're not going to believe me. They're going to say, well, who, 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 who has sent you? How do we know it's our God? How do we know any of this is from God? Lord, and he starts to say, can you tell me your, tell me your name? Give me something, some inside knowledge. Give me something that I could share. And that's when the Lord says, well, I am, I am that I am. And he starts talking about how he is the God who's going to fulfill the promise that was first given to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob. He says, remember when I first called a man out of this world, one man, a singular person, and I made a promise to him that out of his seed would come a people, and out of that people would ultimately come a promised one who would become a deliverer. Now, Moses didn't see the whole panoramic movement of God. He was just told that God, by God, that he had not forgotten his people and the promise that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, the generations of his forefathers. And God says, look, let me tell you what's going to happen. Because Moses is again saying, they're not going to believe me. God says, wait a second, let me tell you. And so if you were to read through the rest of this third chapter, you'd find that God starts to tell Moses some very clear things. One of the things he says is, look, let me tell you exactly how this is going to go. Just so we can be very clear about how this is going to play out. So that there's no surprise. You just need to trust me. Work with me. Watch what I'll do. Let me tell you what's going to happen. He says, one, you're going to go there. You think the people aren't going to receive you because last time they didn't. But guess what? They will receive you. When they see that I am with you, they will receive you. So don't worry about that. If you're worried about being rejected, that's not going to happen. They're going to receive you. He goes, Pharaoh, on the other hand, he's going to have some issues. And he is not going to respond to your initial request. In fact, he's going to resist you with all of his might. And the Lord says, and he and I are going to have a confrontation. I'm going to break him. And I tell you the truth, that, I, that you will lead my people out of this land. And he says, not only will you lead them out of this land with a blessing and with some of the treasure of Egypt coming along with you, he says, but I will also lead you into a promised land. These are the things that are going to happen, Moses. Now, you would think at that moment Moses would go, okay, that, that's really specific, and I'm, I'm willing to do it, and, um, but I want us to see how he responds, and this is where we're going to settle in. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at it together. So God says... Here's what I'm going to do. He tells them all the details. Moses answers and says, but Lord, what if they don't believe me or listen to me, especially when I tell them that the Lord did not, you know, the Lord appeared to me. They're going to say, no, the Lord did not appear to you. So here again, Moses a third time now, third time. 
You know, God's given him a very specific plan. You would think that Moses might be caught up in the vision, go with, the, go with it, but he cannot be accused of getting caught up in the moment, that's for sure. Instead, he says, you know, Lord, that, I, that sounds like a good plan and all, but you know what? They, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. So here's his, next, his third pushback moment. And it's, 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 you know, it's one thing to be humble. It's another thing to be stubborn. And I think a lot of times, listen, we look at Moses and say, how can he be doing this? You know, we do this all the time with God. The Lord is trying to get to us. He's trying to speak to us. We hear his words. We, it affects us, touches us. It come, comes at us in a, di- a lot of different ways. Maybe we're reading his word and it just comes alive and we feel something from God. We hear something. We feel the Lord asking us to respond, but we push back. We push back. We, we try to evade. We try to get out of it. And Moses is just like us. I mean, he's, he, you know what is amazing, too, is that, you know, if it was me, if, if I was God, and, I, and I'm not, and, and I know that, and, and nor, nor would I ever aspire to be, but the fact is that I would have been a, a lot more firm with Moses. I said, well, you stop it. Enough already. Look what I've done. Look what I've said. Quit arguing with me. Get to work. But the Lord is so patient with his reluctant servant. He's just like he's patient with you and me. He works, works with us to get through to us, to get our heart turned towards him in a right way. I mean, it's just a, the Lord's patience is a marvel. And his mercy endures forever. Verse 2, what does the Lord say? Because the Lord doesn't, when Moses says, they're not going to listen to me, Lord. Get, the Lord says, the Lord catches him off guard. He changes the conversation in a dramatic way. In fact, he says something to him that Moses, I'm sure, was not expecting, nor was he anticipating what was about to happen next. Because if the miracle of the bush that was burning and was not consumed with a voice coming from it and God speaking was not enough, the next thing that's going to happen is going to be another, another incident that Moses could not have anticipated. Again, it's designed to remind him that he is not just moving with any kind of human thing. It's a God thing. And the Lord asks, starts by asking him a question. So Moses, Moses says, Lord, they're going to say the Lord did not appear to you. And what do I say to that? And the Lord says, well, what, is in your, what, is in your, what is in your hand? Now, what was in his hand? Moses says, well, my, my, my staff. So let's think of, what is that? That is think of Mo, that Moses' staff, which, by the way, it's going to become uh, an instrument that is going to have historical significance. This is the first reference to it. The staff would have been a piece of wood, probably thick enough for Moses' hand to grip with ease. Would have maybe been three feet or so high. Think of uh, a, a walking stick, a staff. Sometimes it's called a rod. It was Moses' rod. It was Moses' staff. Every shepherd had a staff. In fact, one of the things we know about staffs is that they were these rods that, that, that a shepherd would have. It was not like just any piece of wood to him. It was something that had been a part of him for a long time. They, you, it was almost like this was your companion piece. Your staff was something that you selected. It was a piece of wood that over time maybe even had been affected by your very grip. Over time, certain parts of it were worn down and even polished to fit you. It was something that he would have used at different times for moving his sheep along or for getting them out of something. He could also use it for going over certain types of terrain like it was a third leg. It was used for balance. Uh, there were other things that a staff would be used for. Sometimes if he came into contact, as it were, it was, at times would happen in the, in the mountainous region with a snake, he would use his staff. 
or perhaps to defend himself against some type of a predator. It could also be, a, it was like a weapon to him as well, a point of self-defense, something he could also lean upon. Staff had many, many uh, you know, points of significance for a shepherd. It was something that he had come to, to, you know, he got up, he took his staff with him. He moved, he had his staff with him. His staff was a part of his life. It was like, you know, some people have iPhones today, right? I mean, there was his, he, oh, I gotta have that, where's that, where's that? But he had his staff wherever he went and he took it with him. And so it's no significance when God says, you know what, what's in your hand? He goes, my staff's in my hand. What do you, yes, this is what I, he's the Lord says, I want you to do something with it. Now, now well, let's look at this. I put a quote in your handout. This is from uh, Calvin Miller. And it's, it's Calvin Miller is a, uh, he is an author, a writer, he's a poet, and he says this about Moses. He says, where did he asked this question, where did he get this old rod? Who knows for sure? Perhaps he had retrieved it from the storm-worn heights of Sinai. Perhaps his steely stick had been forged by the gales of the Midian desert. Wherever he got it, the wood of Moses' staff must have been twisted and broken and healed beneath its splintery bark a thousand times until the fibers of his heart were scarred beyond bending. Oh, it was strong. Moses held on to it. Moses leaned on it. He used it even to bludgeon trouble from his path. Some of the younger guys in the back were taught, they said they, had, they were showing me how they had visions of, visions of Moses wielding his staff, you know, bludgeoning his way through. I said, you, guy, you missed the whole point of it. I said, it's not like Moses is Ninja 8-0 or anything, you know, with his staff, you know, right? This is here. You know, this is not Moses. Is not, this, is, this is a picture of someone who's become very connected to his peace of, of what he sees as an instrument that he, he has leaned upon. In fact, it was an extension of who he was, that staff. And he was comfortable with it. And it represented something. It was a strength to him. And so what does God, what does God say to him? Look at this. Look at verse 3. He says that the Lord said to him, I want you to take that staff. What's in your hand? He says, my staff. He says, the Lord says, throw it to the ground. I see a picture of Moses. And takes his staff. And the, the, it must, he probably... He probably just, well, if that's what you want, he drops it on the ground. And as he drops his staff on the ground, to, to, he is stunned. In fact, so completely caught off guard because by the time it hits the ground, it starts to move. And that staff that he had been so comfortable with and so, so uh, you know, much a part of him, immediately, the Bible says, it becomes a moving snake serpent before him. And it's to the extent that Moses moves away from it. And in fact, the Bible is emphatic. It says he runs away. So his first reaction is self-preservation. What's going on here? He moves away from it. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of writers have speculated what kind of a snake that would have been. And of course, the Pharaoh would have, on his diadem would have had the picture of a cobra. And many see that, that that was a cobra at that moment. Whatever else it was, we know that this, we know that potentates in the east and kings oftentimes would have a staff with them. And it would be like a stick. And on top of it would be an orb of some type. And frequently this was an extension. It was a sign of their authority. You would see pictures of them walking with their staff, with their rod, as it were. And they would use that. It was a divine, it was a way of blessing someone, much like someone being knighted. They would make decrees with their authority, their divine authority. And so I mean, Moses' authority, Moses' was a staff, a shepherd's staff. God says, throw it on the ground. But that wasn't the only thing God said. Then God says, as Moses collects himself, look, and I'm going to put this one on the, on the screen because I don't, we don't have it in the handout. It says this in verse 4. Then the Lord says to him, I want you to do something else. Now I want you to reach down and to take it with your hand and grab it where? By 
the tail. And if I'm Moses, I'm going, you want me to take that thing? Maybe, he, and, and I see Moses just kind of doing his best, and, and to, unbelievably so, that as he, and I, maybe the Lord had to say it more than once, or maybe it took a lot of time, but Moses did it, and that took a lot of faith to do it. But by the time he grabbed it, to, it turned back into his rod. That's what the Bible says. It just immediately, the minute his hand clutched it, it turned back into his staff. And <laughs> Miller went on to say this in his writings. He says, you know, I've always wondered whether Moses didn't ever afterwards regard his staff with a special awe. Did he keep his eye on the unpredictable rod? <laughs> Did he take care never to lay it too close to his bed at night, just in case? Did he remember which side, and I bet he did, which side was the head and which side was the tail? Sure. That rod was never the same, and in fact, it was going to be something that is going to become a significant part of how God delivers his people. There's a, that rod, that staff that Moses had framed with his own hands out of a piece of wood or found, and over time, it fit him. God was going to use that very thing. And so here's the situation. We've been looking at the account of Moses' life from the standpoint of, you know, the historical aspect of it and what the Bible has to say about his life and his calling. But we've also been looking at it from a perspective of how does this also apply to us in our own life journey? One of the things that we've been trying to sit with, and you can sit with Moses' story at a number of levels, but we've been coming at it from a devotional, reflective sense by, by asking this question. Let's look at how God was trying to help Moses get past his, his own hurts. Let's look at how Moses was being worked on by God to get free of some things so that he could move forward with what God wanted him to be. So, so much of our time has been at looking at Moses' interactions with God from the perspective of someone who's been injured. And he was. He was hurt. And we were going to talk. Remember, we talked about how he was rejected by his own people and how they basically said, we don't receive you, right? Who made you our arbitrator and a judge? I mean, we don't want you. We don't want your help. And that's when he had literally, after he had committed a crime that, of murder, but he had been defending the, his own people. And then to have them reject him, he had ran off as a fugitive. That was what sent him out, out of Egypt, running for his life. And, but all that whole incident had to do with rejection, getting, getting sort of stuck in a place. And we're, gonna, we're just going to look at this for a moment because I want to talk about, just because we're taking it from this approach, how can we draw from this when it comes to moving forward with our own walk with God, our own life? Um, what about our story? And how does Moses' movement and story intertwine with our story? I'm going to talk about this quickly and sit with it, but not too fast, enough for us to think about it. Let's just start by, by noting the question that God asked Moses. What was it? Because I think there's a clue here for a lot of us. I mean, a lot of times people say, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. I'm not sure if, if, you know, I feel like God, I want to be open to God, but I'm not sure what my purpose is. I'm not sure how I can contribute. And, and I'm going to suggest something. There's a clue in the question that God asked Moses. What did God ask Moses? He said, what is in your hand? And I want to say sometimes the Lord is going to ask us, what is in our hand? And why is that a big deal? Listen, it should not escape our attention that God used what was familiar to Moses as the vehicle for his power and blessing. 
And because Moses, that staff was something he knew. It was a part of him. He had, he had it as, in a way, uh, his friend. It was his, his extension. It was his resource. It was, it was a part of his life. It was, when God says, what is in your hand? It wasn't just anything that was in his hand. It was his staff. It was a very important thing to Moses. That's what's often missed here. How important that piece of of equipment, if we can look at it that way, would have been to him, what it meant to him, what it represented, the multiple uses it had for him. A lot of, God says, what is in your hand? Moses says, my staff. The Lord, see, and a lot of times the Lord will ask us, what is in our hand? We want to know, well, God, what, would, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do with our lives? I'll tell you one clue. What is in your hand? What is in our hand? What does that mean? What are the, what are the things that God has given to us in this life? What, what, are, what are our gifts? What are our talents? What are our capacities? What is the uniqueness of our personality? How we've been shaped? What, is our, what, is, what are the things that, that we, we do? Um, what kind of, kind of way that we relate to people? What, what kind of, are, are, we, do we have art, are we an artist? You know, a lot of times people, are we a person who works with our hands? We work with numbers. Are we technologically savvy? I mean, are, do we like to be around people? Do we really enjoy administrating things? There's so many questions that have to do with, well, what's in your hand? What did God give you? What did God give us in this life as it has emerged that we can contribute for his goodness or for his kingdom, how can we use what he's given to us? That's a great question. What is in your hand? What are we comfortable with? What have we been given? Because so many times the clue to God's plan for our lives is connected to the question, what is in your hand? And somebody says, well, I'm waiting for God to show me what to do. My question is, what has he already given you? Because he may want to use those gifts, those capacities, those talents, those resources, that experience that you have. What, that may be a clue, and it often is, to how God wants to use those things in your life. How can he use those things to be the blessing he wants us to be? So maybe we need to think about, well, what, do I, what have I been given from God? What is in my hand? And how can, and can I use that? But it's going to require something, isn't it? What did God require Moses to do with what was in his hand? Let it go. And the second thing is this. There are going to be times where the Lord is going to ask us to surrender or to let go of certain things that we're holding on to. And I see let go as relinquishing control. It has to do with surrendering. It has to do with relinquishing. It has to do with yielding. Frequently, we find ourselves in situations where, you know, we we are clutching so hard because that's where we find you know, and it's like our security. And a lot of times the Lord will say, you know what? You take that. And it's not until we actually let it fall to the ground and fall into the dirt and sand, as it were. Just the picture of that, that staff falling onto the ground, letting it go. That a lot of times it's in that place where we say, Lord, you know what? God, I want to surrender. I really do. I want to get whatever I have to bring, whatever you've allowed me to experience, whatever trainings I've received, whatever personality gifts I might have or capacities or just my ways of being, whatever it is, Lord, I want to take that, that and I want to lay it at your feet. I want to let it go before you. I want to trust you with my life to use. And there's something about relinquishing. It's sort of like saying, Lord, you know, I was thinking about it. It'd be like, it'd be like praying, Lord, I, you know, and there are times where we need to periodically do this if we're sincere about following the Lord. We need to say, Lord, you know what? Whatever you've given me to contribute, whatever you've created me and allowed me to become, I, uh, whatever, whatever gifts, and I know, I, know I, I, don't, I don't get it all right. I know, I know I have a lot of things in me that don't always please maybe you in, in perfect ways, but Lord, I'm gonna give you my life. I'll give you this, 
this, this me to use for you. If I can be a difference maker for you in some way, big or small, Lord, a word here, a, a person to talk to there, a prayer yielded up here, a service for you, Lord, I want to do this. I want to let it go. I want to give it to you. But sometimes it's not just about giving God our gifts, our resources. It's also sometimes about letting go of other things. And I just was thinking about a couple of things that a lot of times we hold on to that really we might consider letting go of. Let me just quickly refer to a few of them. Number one, there might be times where God might want to ask us to let go of, and I'm calling it the illusion of control. That's, and each one of these things relates to Moses in some way, and I'll try to point it out to us in, 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 by having us just sort of think about it. But if you think about it, when we're talking about control, I mean, a lot of times what we're talking about, the things that, that we are sort of propped up by, um, it might be our relative power, it might be our leverage, it might be our expertise, it might be our material wealth, it might be our position, it might be our health, it might be our you know, skill sets, our social status, I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly. What I'm trying to get is, what are the things that make us feel secure in life? Those things that we lean on, that we see that in trouble, I can use them in some way. Those things, and I think there are going to be times where the Lord is going to ask us to throw certain, and I'm using it metaphorically, obviously, we're going to lay it before the, on the ground and say, Lord, you know what? I don't trust in those things. There are times where the Lord will ask us to lay something at the foot of the cross. I, what does it mean to lay something down? It means to surrender something to his touch and purpose because in the end, that staff was nothing really but a piece of wood and it had a limited capacity. But when Moses let it down and when he later picks it, it becomes something quite different because it's under the touch of God. And it's a reminder. God was almost like God was saying, you know what? You are not in control. That's your problem right now. You need to trust me with that which matters most. There's something there. And that's connected to the second thing. A lot, sometimes it has to do not just with letting go of our illusion of control, but it might have to do with letting go of our identity. In Moses' case, he did not see himself as the stuff of a heroic deliverer. He saw himself as an old shepherd whose best days were past. Therefore, he was no longer really anyone who really God could use. He, it's almost like God was asking him to reform his, if I can put it this, his, his perspective of his own identity. Because Moses saw himself one way. He saw himself as a person who was not usable for God in this way. And God says, you are, you are defining your identity. Your biography is determining your, your identity and, your, and at some level your destiny. But you need to let me, you need to trust my word over your life. Even though you think your best days are behind you and whatever that was, Whatever dream that thing was, that thing is history. He's, God's like God saying to him, look, you need to let me redefine. I know your limitations. I know your weaknesses. I mean, Mo Moses is not even done making his excuses yet. He's going to say, you know, I don't even know how to talk. He's going he's to say other stuff to try to get God off of his back. It's not going to work. God's going to keep on him because God cares not only about Moses. God cares about his people and about the people who are in need of someone to step forward. And so God's going to challenge us. I think God at times will challenge us as well around our own, our own sense of, of self-worth and identity. And, and God, it's almost like God was saying, look, you know what? Uh, Moses is standing there. I see a picture of Moses standing there with, with his staff now before him, and it's twisting and it's turning, or perhaps it's coiled up like a, I don't know. But I see Moses standing there, his hands are empty. He's no longer, it's almost like God says, that was you 
but you need to let that go because I have something that I want you to do and be. And it's not going to be that, so let it be. We talk about sometimes how we just need to trust God, God's word over our life. And frequently, it's connected to letting go of something else that has an effect on our identity. And that has to do with, and this is our third piece here under this, this, this second thought, which has to do with letting go of sometimes our anxiety and our wounding. And these are things that we say, oh, these are just nice. No, these are real things. These are real things. You see, this was a real issue for Moses. We've been trying to make the case, and it's going to show up. Forty years have passed. A man advanced in his life. He's still thinking. He says, Lord, they're not going to listen to me. That's still on his mind. That past wound, that rejection by his own people. They didn't want me. They didn't want anything to do with me. They turned on me. They had, they, they had no idea of what my heart really was for them. They just said, we don't want you. And now, God, you're asking me to go back to the very people who said they don't want me. And that's what the Lord was saying. Yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to let that go. I want you to trust me. And I think a lot of times there are things that God is going to challenge us to let go that have to do with wounds that people have given us. And I'm not being cavalier with that. And I'm not being lied about it. And I'm not saying, oh, it was no big deal. It is. Look, we might say Moses' rejection wasn't a big deal. Forty years later, he's still carrying it. Still carrying it. God says, trust me, he says, they don't want me, they'll not listen. How many of his excuses? Listen, really, what are they attached to? They won't listen to me. They don't want me to, they're not going to hear me. I know already. I don't, what is he saying? We would say, I don't want to be hurt again. No. Go find somebody else, not me. I'm not your guy. This, you could feel it in him. And remember, and we talk about how some things won't let us be. Remember we say what we won't let be won't let us be? And I think Moses had thought, well, you know, my life, I don't have to worry about that. But then all of a sudden God brings it back up. And all this stuff's kicking back in. And now you're telling me I got to go back there, deal with these people. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Yes, there is a difference sometimes between being bothered by something and being consumed with something so that we cannot move forward with God. I think we need to hear that. And that leads to this. Because for some of us, it's not just an issue of letting go. What else did God ask Moses to do? He says, I want you to get there, and I want you to take hold of that. And I see Moses struggling to take hold of it because he's afraid. And I would have been very afraid as well. He was afraid enough. What, what is the thing that Moses had did when he first saw it? It says he ran. And there are things that we want to run. God's saying, take hold of it. And you, Lord, I don't want to get near the thing. And the Lord said, you take hold of it. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. You take hold of it. You take hold of it by his tail. You take hold of it. You reach down. And that, must have, that required a lot of faith. And I don't know how long it took Moses to do it. But eventually he did it and he got it. And there are times where God is going to challenge us. You got to take hold of this thing. You don't just let it. You got it to move forward. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. You're going to have to push past your fear here. You're going to have to let it go. And I think certain times in our lives, God will call us to confront our fear, and lay hold of a promise. To confront our fear and lay hold of a promise. To lay hold of a promise. And why, you know one of the interesting things about it is that as we exercise, <laughs> it's amazing to me, because as we exercise faith and obey God's commands, we find that the very thing that we're afraid of is the very thing that God ultimately uses to express his power in. That thing was going to, that thing, when he laid back hold of it, that staff becomes an instrument that God is going to use in amazing ways.
I was reminded, and we'll close with this last verse, I was reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do, this one thing I do, I am not bound by the things that are behind me. I am forgetting those things. I am letting them go. I'm letting go of that which is behind me. I forget that which is behind me. In fact, what I am doing is I am, I am by faith laying hold of that which is ahead. You can see it. You can see him saying it. I reach toward, I reach forward, the forward reach. To, I reach forward. Look at the, what he's saying, right? To those things which are ahead of me that God has for me. And then he uses it in his own language. I press towards this, what, this goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And the version I learned it in used to say, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I will not be bound by my past. I will not be defined by my past. Paul had stuff that haunted him. No question about it. But what was he saying? I will not let myself live there. I will reach forward to the things that God has for me. And I will reach forward. I, this one thing I do, I reach forward. And I pursue the call of God in my life. And all of us are given the same invitation to listen to God, to lay hold of things in our lives, to not allow things to hold us back. Some things, Lord, we got to let go of, and then there are other things we need to take hold of. And may the, may the Lord give us the wisdom to know what those things are and how to do it. Lord, as we are here, as we're thinking about these truths, as we're pondering your words, your ways, your principles, as we're reflecting back on the way that you interacted with your servant Moses, we are reminded again that your ways oftentimes are ways that invite us to wrestle and to think and to ponder. Lord, there are some, for some of us, there are questions that need to be asked about what you've put into our hand and how we're to honor you with those things that you've given us. Instead of us, Lord, trying to, to hold on to some things that maybe we need to be okay letting go, perhaps some of us have been, have been given things, resources, capacities, opportunities to honor you. Some of it has to do maybe with our experience of having lived life for a while. And so there's some things we can bring to the table by the grace of God. Others of us, it has to do with our future and, and our, our, our ability to dream in, into our future. And we want to bring those things before you as well, Lord. We don't want to just live life and, and didn't have it just squandered. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. Help us not to get bogged down holding on the stuff that you're calling us to submit and let go of. Also, Lord, keep us from being sort of deceived by the, the things that we think really matter when what you're saying is what truly matters is you in our lives. And remind us also, God, that there are times we're going to call us by faith and to step past our fear and to have courage and to take hold of new things, new things that you're calling us to. It's going to mean confronting our past and trusting you in new ways. So I just pray that as we close the service out, um, I ask that the song that we close with, that the joy of this song would just kind of be a closing point of reference for us. And I also ask, Lord, that you would bless our time of giving as many of us honor you in our tithes and our offerings in this community. We pray that you'd be honored in all things. Keep working in our lives, we pray. This day, this week, Lord, through this year and into the next, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.